Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. The industry trade publications broke news about Elijah Schlesinger's newest gig just minutes before we sat down in her hotel room to talk during the New York Comedy Festival. Schlesinger is making and starring in a comedy series of mini-sodes for ABC's new streaming app. But Eliza has been hustling even since before she entered and won the sixth season of NBC's last comic standing in 2008 when she was only 25. She has released two Netflix stand-up specials since then, plus her own podcast, Truth and Eliza. Up next, she's hosting the game show Separation Anxiety for TBS, which launches at the start of 2016, and she tells me about her one career dream that she's still longing for and hustling toward. So let's get to it! No. Eliza Schlesinger, welcome. Hi. Thanks for Hi, being Sean. here on Last Things First. On what? Last Things First. That's it. That's what it's called. Um, yes. Thanks for having me. So Last Things First, congratulations on your new ABC Digital program. Thank you. <laughs> Just released to the interwebs. The news was released today. The The headline was released today. We only started editing the first two episodes like a couple days ago, so mm-hmm. it's not. But it's been shot. So, I don't know. It was cool that they... That, that article came out. My publicist literally emailed me. I sound like such an asshole, but he did. And he was like, Variety's going to do an article. And it came out like three minutes later. <laughs> so I was just glad they used my face and picture to go with it, to start kick it off. And this is an indirect result of your pilot deal with ABC last pilot season? Yeah. So I wrote a pilot with Cindy Shupak um, for ABC last year. Mm-hmm. And pretty much like at the last minute, they, you know, networks have a mandate and they have to pick up X amount of shows for an X amount and whatever kind of theme. And I had chosen ABC. We had, it was, it was CBS, NBC, and ABC. And I just felt ABC, the women there are amazing. The guys there too, but it's like an all, like a multicolored all women team (laughs) that works in comedy. And they came to see my hour um, in at Just for Laughs, and they were just, they really repped hard for their cause, and, and I really liked them, so we went with them, and then at the last minute, they were like, we can't pick it up, but please don't go away, let's make a web series, which I think is cool, because that's digital as the, non-linear as the way we're all moving, right. and a lot of times, they're like, we can't pick it up, and go fuck yourself, and like, that's <laughs> it, oh, but we love you, and this wasn't that, and I was like, okay, sure, whatever, and then the money came in, and then the producers came in, and we all just... It became a project. I didn't believe it was happening literally until the first day we started shooting. And how many episodes? We shoot seven. Mm-hmm. They said to make seven, between seven and eight, so the sixth episode is like extra long. So okay. it's seven. Um, I wrote them by myself. I wrote them all by myself. <laughs> I wrote seven pages of dialogue all by myself oh, well. um, for each episode. Now. I think there's seven. might be a little bit more. Um, how long are the episodes? It's like six minutes each. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, I just, it's, with any stand-up comedy, it's my point of view, right? So right. that's it. So we just wrapped. Well, and this is the new, I, I hesitate to say brave new world, but it's the, it's the new way of, of making mm-hmm. quote-unquote TV now is... Yeah, it's digital. Digital. ABC's launching their platform. Everybody's got a digital platform. Yeah. So hopefully it will represent like the first time in my career where I got in on something at the right time at the beginning. <laughs> There were plenty of times where I was the first one to think of something, but I'm the last one to be invited. So it'll be, I was, I'm happy that they're on board. 
and they seem enthused and today was a was a cool day it was a nice thing to see when you get off a plane it's always good when you have news when you right. get off a plane versus like one text from your dad and what's the status of the tbs series that you were involved in separation, separation anxiety um so we i think we shot 14 episodes might be a few more mm-hmm. we shoot them in pods it's it's a weird thing to explain not proper episodes um oh right out of sequence so you might shoot so not so much i mean it's a game show so there's no sequence but like if you have a cup if you have a two people on doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a couple we've had brothers and stuff like that on uh if you have two people on and they are doing really well and they're just like an amazing group and you want to talk to them that they will take longer than somebody that just like shits the bed on like the third question so you can't they could be an entire episode versus or you could have like three people uh, three couples in an episode right so they're called pods because each pod represents uh, a different uh relationship that we had on a okay. different group Does that makes sense sure um so we just did adr I just did it for the first five pods. Loop um, it. Looped it. I don't know. I don't know what they, what they were using. And um, so those will be out in January. Okay. And TBS is doing a big relaunch of their whole brand in January. They did a $1 billion dollar relaunch. Yeah. And uh, I had a lovely conversation when I was at TBS. And they were like, to be honest, this is when they were asking me if I wanted the gig. Mm-hmm. Which also represented the first time in my career where they were like, do you want this? Versus, hey, why don't you come in? We'll see what your teeth look like. <laughs> um... And they were like, you know, for a long time, our logo, our, our, our slug line, our motto was TBS, very funny. And to be frank, we haven't been. And I thought that was very funny. Snap. Um, so, yeah, so they're rebranding everything. Right. And hopefully this, like the ABC thing, is part of their rebrand, relaunch. So we'll see. Right, because January for TBS also has Angie Tribeca, the Rashida Jones comedy. It has the Samantha B late night show. Yeah. Those all start going to have January. a bunch of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it's a game show. So... It's not a late night show and it's not a scripted show. Right. So we'll see what on, the people but want. But it's on national television. So it is on national so television. It yeah. Oh, no. I wouldn't think it wasn't a game show. It <laughs> it's just, uh, I also, aside from Jane Lynch, I just did an episode of Hollywood Game Night. I don't think there's any women hosting game shows. Not that that's my dream. Right. But it was really fun. And it's a genuinely funny show. I wouldn't have done it if I couldn't be funny. Like, I would never do something where like, just read these lines and go home. Would you want to host late night? It's all I want. Did this? Somebody did this article recently oh, yeah. where they asked all these women, and they asked me to write. They're like, "Can you write like two to three consolidated sentences?" And then they just po- posted like thirty-seven of these questions. Like it was like the weirdest cobbled together thing. Most of the girls didn't want one. I've made everybody. Somebody. Some of them answered seriously, and some answered sarcastically too. I've I've made four late night pilots. I made two with VH1, mm-hmm. one with E, one with Oxygen, and we have a meeting coming up for another one. Um, it's the only thing that I want. It's the reason I have a podcast, so I can inter- like, sort of learn how to listen. Right. That's, think, that's, that's a big part of this. It really is. I think a lot of comics are like, oh, I have a podcast, and I understand why. You know, it's another outlet, but not very many comics are good at listening, because that's not what we do, you know? So that's all that I want is a late-night show. What age were you when you, you first had this dream? I don't know. I got my pilot, that first pilot. Gosh, maybe I was like... Maybe I was 27. It definitely was after Last Comic Standing, so it was around then. I don't know. But, I mean, but when you were a kid, did you look at late night shows and go, "No, I could do that, or I want to do that"? No, I, I'm very self-taught when it comes to TV. There was no like, my mom wasn't a big TV advocate, and mm-hmm. I didn't have like an older brother or sister tell me what was cool. And I, you know, I'm from Dallas, Texas, so my access to Hollywood was limited. For me, it was just always I'm going to be funny for a living. I watched the funny shows. I watched Kids in the Hall. I watched In Living Color. I watched Martin. I watched Ellen. I watched all these things growing up. 
And I just knew that that's what I was going to do when I saw my future. It was just me holding a microphone in whatever capacity. It was never like a clear vision. But you started doing comedy even in like high school. I was right? in an improv troupe. I mean that. But yeah, but but that you was. Were, you were thinking that it was way. my only outlet. You wanted to be a performer. Yeah, I my first that, improv troupe was at camp when I was like fourteen. Before that, I would do music, do musicals, and mm -hmm. I was always writing little bits. I have a very I have a tape somewhere of me interviewing my family at like seven. So I understand you going, then going to Emerson, right? But why Kansas first? Because I got in. <laughs> That's the answer. Like everybody thinks, like oh she's so smart. I went to a highly competitive college preparatory high school. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Green Hill. It's in Dallas. And a lot of like Erica Badu's kids go there. Like Deion Sanders kids. Like I'm not saying that's like, oh, so check it out. But it's, it's, it's a, gr a great school. And mm -hmm. all my friends went to Ivy's and Ivy lookalikes. And I got in my freshman year. And this is not an excuse, but I didn't know study skills. All my friends have been going there since they were in kindergarten. So they knew how to digest information and study five hours a night. And I came from like a bullshit public school. And sorry, but it was. And um, so I came into this really competitive environment without the tools to fully absorb the knowledge. So while absorbing the knowledge, I'm having to teach myself how to do it on top of playing sports, on top of five hours of homework. So it took me a couple years to adjust. So while my grades weren't, you know, I would liken an average class at that school to like an honors class at another school. So my grades weren't stellar, and especially coming out of that school, I think colleges expect a little bit more, and especially the schools I applied to. I was just in way over my head. Um, and I was rejected from every school because you can't say to them, look how funny I am. Right. Sorry, my math grades suck. I have, I have a, a great vocabulary. Great is the word I chose to use, an extensive vocabulary. Well, I mean, plenty of comedians don't even go to college, so. That's not an option. <laughs> That's this gross. Um, <laughs> I went. I want to be a film major. Sorry, I'm eating a granola bar. I just got off a plane. It's always the excuse, right? I just got off a plane. I can't function. Um, what'd you say? College. Means, you had to go to college. I do. I mean, that's just not. You go to college. I get it's not for some people, but I was going to college. I was a film major. Mm -hmm. I think when you're a teenager, and this is kind of not before the internet, but right when it was becoming a thing. You don't have access to that much information. And again, growing up as a single parent, suburbs of Dallas, Texas, it's not like I grew up in the heart of New York City where like art was just in my face and I had all these outlets. Right. So I'd be like, I'll be a film major. That's the quickest way I can see me getting to be creative. And I'm not, um, I love film, but I'm not a student of film. I have a film degree, but I, like if we have to light a scene, I just roll my eyes. Like I just have no patience <laughs> for it. Um, and the, the attention you have to pay to be a director, I can't. So. But you ended up at Emerson instead of transferring to USC or something mm. like that. Emerson was one of my top picks when I applied to college my okay. freshman year. Um, and I looked at all of them and I really felt that, and I'd visited all the campuses, having known nothing about Boston. I'd never even heard a Boston accent in my life. Mm. Emerson lets you be hands-on from the beginning. It wasn't as artsy as like Sarah Lawrence or like Bard where the kids were all like a little out there for me. Right. But it was structured enough that they gave you the tools to explore whatever outlet you wanted to. USC, I think, I mean, that's highly competitive and I know some colleges you can't even touch a camera till you're a junior. And Emerson, they just, they really let you explore whatever you want. You can create a comedy troupe, you can do your own film, you can create a club. I'm not saying you can't at the other schools, right. but it spoke to me, the kids seem the most like me. Did you know about Emerson's comedy show business pedigree? I didn't. I, maybe I did. 
I might have, but I think for me it was the film and just seeing the kids and thinking, mm-hmm. I feel like I belong here. And it took two tries. And then I remember after our last comic standing, Emerson gave me an award. I got the Young Alumni Achievement <laughs> Award. <laughs> and I went and I accepted this award. And I was just like, because I remember I tried it for last comic standing the year before and I didn't get on, which is a blessing. Um, but my whole speech was like, just because somebody doesn't see it in you the first time doesn't mean it's not there. And then I explained to the room, I was like, I applied to your school the first time and didn't get in. And they were like, oh, we had no idea. I'm like, that's because your school is run by house cats. <laughs> and to get an award for getting an award is so right. silly. Anybody that gets on a TV show at their college is like, here's your honorary degree, here's a doctorate. You're right. just like, okay, whatever. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I'm happy I went, I'm happy I had those experiences and I got to treat, I was in a comedy troupe and I got to treat that like my full-time degree. You can't get a degree in comedy. Who else was in your comedy troupe? Anybody who's... That you know? Yeah. Dan Levy was in my comedy troupe. Do you know Dan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's a little bit older than me so I think we only shared like a year together. Steve Bazalone, who writes on the Goldbergs but I think, again, he's a little bit older than mm-hmm. me. Um... Who else that you would know? I don't think you would know anybody else off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, I'm blanking on another last name. What? I'm just trying to calculate when you were there. I was there, I went 2002 to 2004. Okay. 2005, I'm not positive when I graduated. I graduated early, but I also did a semester at sea, so I was not on the campus for my last year or last half of a year, and I did the LA program. So I think I was physically on campus for a year and a half. It's a it's a broken education. Yeah, because I was working at the Boston Herald 2005 and 2006. I was not there. Yeah, I was definitely in LA by then. But that's when I got introduced to people like Joe Mandy and Harris Whittles and cool people like that. Yeah, they were in Harris. Rest in peace. Was I yeah. want to say in like Swollen Monkey Showcase or Emerson Comedy Workshop? There were other troops. Chocolate Cake City was Chocolate one. Cake. Chocolate Cake City. I wrote about their Back to the Future mashup video so the troupe that i was in mm-hmm. and this would mark the first despite what people might think of me based on my appearance this troupe marked the first time in my life i was part of a cool kids club <laughs> and i and i just tried out and they wanted me and there was an improv troupe that wanted me and i chose jimmy's traveling all-stars horrible name but that was our sketch troupe sure. and they were the cool kids emerson's one of the only schools where like the comedy troupe kids are the cool kids yeah and even though we were friends with the other troops what's great about emerson is if you don't if you don't get into a comedy troupe you can start your own and Chocolate Cake City was started when I was there. And we all probably made fun of it. I probably didn't care, but other people did. Mm-hmm. And then it became prestigious. Jimmy's was started because those kids didn't get into something else. So, uh, you know, the rejected always rise to the top. <laughs> what, what, what drew you to Semester at Sea? They're like, do you want to go to like 13 different countries with a bunch of kids and just get like shit faced in every country? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the Taj Mahal and drink beer. <laughs> so it was just a really cool experience. And... Travel is the best way to enrich yourself. Did you feel enriched then when you set I, off for Hollywood? No, but I felt I felt cultured. I mean, I'd always I'd traveled before, mm-hmm. but you know, it kind of now you can with confidence be like, I love to travel, or I've been the, like when someone says like, oh, they send something about Vietnam, and you're like, I've been there. People are like, whoa. <laughs> but just to give you like a global on perspective a on a boat, motherfucker, to give you um, a global perspective and to kind of put your own thing in perspective and to know how other people are really living in other parts of the world versus like, oh, I went to Cancun. Well, I'm a fuckstick. <laughs> like, we really saw these places. And then did you go straight to LA? I moved straight to LA and I did the Emerson LA program, which is where gonna you... I going to ask if you got involved with the Emerson Mafia. No, not with... 
There's two different things. The Emerson LA program is a proper program. Oh, okay. Where you move to LA, well, you see, live. I'm not part of it, so I don't. That's know. right. And you, I'm not going to show you the handshake. <laughs> uh, it's where you move to LA and you live at. I'm trying to read the time. The Oakwoods, which mm-hmm. is a storied like child actor haven. It's these apart. It's apartment complex on Barham, uh, which is like right at the where the valley uh, opens up. Okay. And. Um, Child actors live there. People like put people up there because it's right by Warner Brothers and it's right by NBC. And it's this weird place. So that's where you would live with a roommate. Mm-hmm. And you would take the remainder of your Emerson classes at the Emerson LA Center, which was a stucco building that I'm pretty sure was like used for storage. And now they have this like spaceship on Sunset. It's this like gorgeous building. And you would intern in the industry. The objective being to sort of, you know, get you uh, ahead of the game. and. Right sort of ensconce you in, in the industry before other kids have graduated. So you go on these interviews and you, go, you get an internship. I got mine at the now defunct United Artists. Um, they produced Hotel Rwanda. I saw it literally 15 times. And so that was where I spent my last semester. And then you graduate. I went back to Boston to get my, to like the actual graduation. And then that was it. I, I just started doing stand-up. It's such a boring story. Like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, people are going to drive off the road listening <laughs> to this, like falling asleep. Well, did, did that leg up mean that you didn't have to have day jobs? You were already, kind I of, have your day, day jobs job. were in the industry? Well, I mean, that was my last semester of college, and I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough that I didn't need to have a job. But the second, I, rem- I remember the day. I remember getting my own apartment. I, like, went out searching for it. I found one, and then I just grabbed a girl that was in my class. I'm like, do you want to be my roommate? Because I found this amazing apartment. And I just started looking for jobs. I started temping, and I really wanted to have a job. I wanted to work, and I just did stand-up at night without any real goal. I just started doing it knowing literally nothing about the industry. I had never been to the comedy store or the improv. I'd never heard of the Laugh Factory. Um, I didn't know how much money you could make. I didn't know what it took to make an hour. I just knew that I had done a one-man show in college, and I knew that I was good at observing things, and I knew that people thought it was funny. So I took those little chicken scratches of observations, and I put them into a set, and I did my first set, and then I kept getting asked back, and it just, I just worked really hard without an actual goal. So where did you go for that first set? Okay, so the first thing was, so I moved, to, so I'm in LA, and I was like, I'm gonna do stand-up, um, because I'd written this one-man show in college, so I had some jokes I'd extrapolated from mm. that. And I was like, I need stage time. And I knew I couldn't go to like a club. I didn't know anything about the open mics. I knew nothing. And I saw this ad for this thing called Judy Carter's Comedy Bible. Oh, yeah. Right? That used to be before the internet. That used to be the thing. The thing. Learn about the rules of three. And so I saw this ad in the paper, I guess, or some kind of like LA Weekly, something in the back of a magazine. And it was like, come dance for us. No, it was like, come take this class. And you get the class. At the end of the class, you get a showcase. And I remember thinking... I'll, that's how I'll get my stage time. I'll do a showcase, but I got to take this bullshit class. Yeah. I showed up with the biggest attitude. <laughs> I didn't buy the book. I stole it from the instructor because I thought it was stupid. So Judy didn't teach the class. No, just some dude, like some comic who's like probably dead now. And I remember thinking this is stupid. I remember thinking all the amounts of time I've had to buy textbooks and ingest information that I'm not going to use. I'm not doing it this time. I know what's funny. I know it in my bones and in my DNA. I and mean, you can't teach me just like the kids in my class, like, just like these idiots around me aren't going to learn it. You know when someone's funny. Right. And the instructor was just like some hat comic. Like he's not going to do it. I mean, I don't know who it is now. And I would take the other people in the class. They were adults. They were older than me. I would write their jokes for them. And I would explain to them 
how like, oh, you've got to say this, you've got to say mm-hmm. this, here's why. You know, without fully understanding, just knowing like that's what's funny. And at the end, I guess I misread the ad. You had to take like the next level class, like Scientology, Scientology style to like get the <laughs> oh. showcase. But you by then... There wasn't a graduation for the first class? No, but I had met a comic in there. Mm-hmm. His name was Tim Powers. He's just a local guy. And he was like, I think you're funny. And we'd become friendly. He was like an old, he could have been my dad. And he was like, would you like a spot at room five? My friends do a show there. It's called White Boy Comedy. If you go to whiteboycomedy.com, I don't think anyone runs their website anymore. But a friend of mine checked it. We checked it recently. My headshot is still up there. And it's like my first headshot. Oh, my stomach totally. is way too exposed for a headshot. Um, and so I went to room five and I met all these guys that did have a little production group and they would do comedy. And I did seven minutes. I invited all my friends. And then somebody invited me to the comedy store to do a bringer show and I invited my friends again. And then eventually, you know, you meet somebody that introduces you to the comedy store booker and then you show up there for those development spots. The improv started sending me out with, uh, to open for black comics at like the Brea and Irvine improv. So I started my career opening or featuring, I'm not even sh- I might've been the host, like Bill Bellamy, Mark Curry, I won the MySpace So You Think You're Funny contest, which was like a thing. Yeah. And my prize was. was that I got to open for Bruce Bruce at the <laughs> House of Blues. <laughs> Bruce Bruce. So that was weird. Um, and so it was just chipping away at little people saying yes here and yeah. there. So the improv was the first club to sort to, of pass you? Yeah, to send me out. Um, and then the comedy store made me a regular. And then the Laugh Factory, which I'm now banned from. <laughs> but I'm just joining the ranks of all the other yeah, greats. I was going to say. It happens. Oh. Jamie, oh, Jamie loves you and then he doesn't. Who cares? Um, I'm sure it's a mistake that he will reverse. You're, <laughs> you're doing some new uh, ads for Hyatt Regency. I am. Uh, which play up how, how nice the road is for you now compared to what was it like the first time you did the road? Because those jobs in Brea, not, it's not a real road gig. No, because you drive home. Yeah. Right. What um, were your first, first road gigs like? I don't know. That's a good question. Here's the thing. Here's the other thing. Um, and people might find this hard to relate to. Some people might hate it. I don't really, I don't really care. Because of Last Comic Standing, mm-hmm. there was no hard time on the road as like an opener for me. There was no, like it's almost like I graduated from high school and went right to the real world. There was no college. So I started my actual career, my professional career, by headlining. And when you do that, so you win that show and you're a headliner now. Right. There is no triple run. There is, I have, I don't have stories where it's like me and, and these guys, we were comics in Chicago and we used to be waiters together. I don't have that. How long were you doing stand up when you did last comic? Three years. Okay. And so. Were you still doing a day job when you did last comic? When you auditioned? I quit. I, before last comic standing, I remember I was starting, it was getting to a point where I was writing sketches and this was when the internet, like the whole idea of like brandable content and mobile content, people were starting to talk about it. So people would give you like $500, come and do a sketch, come and do this, you know? And I was starting to get enough money together. I remember like something in my car broke and I had the $600 to fix it. And I was like, this is amazing. I'll never be richer than this. Um, and I got a gig. Somebody asked me to go to Singapore to entertain the troops and my boss let me take off two weeks. And I was getting to where I was getting enough work, just doing whatever, writing bits for people, uh, for, for sketches or for hosting little things here and there. And I just, I called my parents, or I called my mom. And I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I need to borrow $1,000 to buy a computer. And that's it, I'll pay you back. And because it was one, it was a moment, it was one of the few moments in my life where I was like, I need to commit to this. I can always get another day job. There's no shortage of day jobs. There is. <laughs> so what was happening that made you go, this is the time to do it? I think it was that. I think it was 
being asked to go overseas and I think it was getting just involved. I'm like, I think like blue collar comedy had a thing. I wrote some, I don't remember. I couldn't even tell you, but it was enough bit things Mm -hmm. that I felt like I could, I feel like I could have like a humble existence financially if I just make that decision. And I feel like a couple months later I auditioned for last comic. In fact, I was in, I was overseas when they had the LA audition and I missed it. So I flew to San Francisco to audition there. What was that last day job you had? I was an assistant. Uh, there was a company called the Ultimate Blackjack Tour, and it was all of these like professional gamblers who had um, all these professional gamblers who had come together to make like a new kind of blackjack. Um, and you know they're they're gamblers, so mm. they're degenerate to some extent, but they were like millionaires. And I was the assistant to the creative director, who was this wonderful guy named Larry. We were like the only Jews in the office, and I think in our hearts we kind of knew that the company was like bullshit. And I took my cues from him, like. I'm the assistant. There's nothing for me to self-start. Give me whatever. I'll make your copies. But I would, I remember I would, first of all, come in hungover all the time because I was like in my early 20s yeah. and I would pull up a Word document and I would prop my head up and I would just go to sleep. Um, and I wore pajamas to the office. Like I wasn't like an office where people were coming in, but that was my last job. And that's where you were working when you took the two weeks off to go mm-hmm. to Singapore? And then Last Comic Standing happened and it's not a relatable story, but I spent the rest of my life being relatable to people. So... Yeah. The story of how I came up is not last comic happened. And then it was just like, now you're a headliner. And I remember, you know, the show is not a star maker. I'm no. friends with some of the people that have won, but a lot of people that have won, like John Heffron or John Reap, Alonzo, they already had careers. I, I interviewed you know? John Heffron recently and he's, he gave you props as the only winner to do something. That's sweet. Um, but <laughs> like, but to be fair, like they already had their career sort of in motion. They weren't like completely nobody's. Nobody had right. been doing it three years. Um, and I remember remember thinking like I've got this great opportunity that's going to burn bright for a second, and eventually the enthusiasm will fade. There'll be another season, and it was a real. I, I made a decision. I was like, I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to take this for granted, and I'm going to make sure that this sustains itself. They didn't, for after your season, they didn't have a full theater tour set up already, they did, did they? They did, okay. We went on a full theater tour. Um, I know you're making money doing that, and then I signed with some agency, and they just sent me, and I just started headlining. And it's been, it's weird, like, even though people, to this day, people come up, they're like, we watched you on that show. Kids come up to me, and I'm like, how old were you when you watched that, like, three? Um, but it's been a very slow build. I don't think people fully realize to build a career off of simply stand-up, like I don't have acting credits. I have auditions. I don't have, oh, I had, you know, like I hosted a dating show for two years, but it was so obscure. Right. To actually- It was excused. It was excused. My, my career was excused for about <laughs> two years. Uh, to actually build a following is extremely hard to do. You look at someone like Joe Coy, who I love. You don't know Joe Coy from, at least I don't think you do, from anything other than stand-up. And the guy sells out like, Eight shows a week in advance. I was advance. gonna say Chelsea lately, but that's not a thing anymore. So. True. Okay, maybe that's fair. But for in general, any of these stand-up guys right. that have just been pounding the pavement and just working hard at it. Of course, you want to get TV gigs and movie gigs, but my audience has been built through repetition and coming into these cities over and over. And because of the popularity of this last Netflix special, it's just been. It's finally at a point where I feel it should have been a while ago, but it's finally selling out in advance, adding shows. Like this New York Comedy Festival show is oversold, which is, it's nice and it's exciting. And I've been doing this for 10 years and there are people who've been doing it longer that'll be like, fuck you, you do it longer. But I'm confident in saying that like, I work extremely hard 
and uh, and it's nice to see it pay off once in a while. So did you focus all of your energy on building a stand-up I really audience did. and an act and yeah. another act? In hindsight, perhaps I should have been networking with the right people or something, but you know, you build this career mm -hmm. and you're out on the road, but at the same time you're having at-bats. I've tested for network shows. I have, again, made several pilots. But you don't talk about those things because unless you get the gig, nobody cares. The trades care, but that's about it. Yeah, but nobody. The trade doesn't care that you tested. That's not going to be in the trades, you know. <laughs> um, they're not going to care that you made a pilot unless it gets picked up. Um, and I'm not one to talk about things unless it's there. Like that variety thing today, I almost didn't even publish it because I was like, let's let's give it a beat. But my face was on it, so I think it's legitimate. Um, <laughs> and it hurts a little bit. People come up, they're like, "Where's your show? How come you don't have a show?" And you're like, "I am trying." <laughs> Why aren't you in movies? You're like, I am trying. So it's, um, I don't know. It's all part of it. If I, I'm so grateful, I have the best fans. And if I didn't have stand up, I probably wouldn't even be able to live in LA because I've literally achieved nothing else on like the acting front. So. What have you learned? You mentioned doing four late night pilots <laughs> and in conversations for a fifth. Yeah. What have you learned about the kind of show you want to do? Um, I've learned stand your ground. I've learned only negotiate. I've learned to only listen to the network when it comes to, let me rephrase this. When it comes to creativity and comedy, mm -hmm. I'm not taking notes on that. Everything else, if you guys want to stick your fingers in it, you can. You know, they say they're like, oh, we want to build it around a comedian. And then everybody wants to give notes because of they're, they're afraid they'll be fired. But just because you're giving notes doesn't mean that you're mentally equipped to give them. I remember I did one pilot and the big note at the end of the day was like, we want her in a yellow shirt. And it's literally the one color I won't wear. And that was the big thing. And they're like, you're wearing it. Or just things like more hashtags, say bootylicious. And at the time you're like, okay, what do I got to do? Because there's also the, the thinking where I'll just do it and get it on the air. Right. And they, they'll tell you like, we love it. We've made it the perfect thing. And then, oh, we just didn't pick it up. So you really can't listen to anyone. And I've, in the last pilot I made, and uh, the last, I'm trying to think of the last thing I did, it was me saying, no, here's how I'm doing it. I remember one pilot, they wanted to call it head bitch in charge. And I said, absolutely not. Like, there's nothing about me that suggests that I use that word often or that I would speak like that. And I think it's derogatory. And they fought me on it tooth and nail. They're like, what about HBIC? I'm like, still, <laughs> still the same thing. Right. Um, so, and I eventually I won. I forgot what the thing was called. But, and I don't think it didn't get picked up because of that. You really, at a certain point in your career, you got to take it on the chin a lot, and you get kicked in the shins a lot, and eventually become numb to it. But that being said, you really have to pick and choose when you're going to bet on yourself, versus when you're going to like let other people convince you of things. Um, I did a deal recently. I'm not going to go into the details. We were we had we had hired these two writers. It was for uh, a network show, and we had developed it and everything, and we had set the pitches for network. It was in the calendar. And the writers called my agent on a, like a Saturday. And they were like, we change our minds. We want full creative control. Yikes. And they already had two thirds. So it would just be based on the comedy of Eliza, nothing else. And right. I was like, I'm the comedian and this story is about me. It's my life. How can you just write it without my, I'm going to be in every writing meeting. I'm going to be giving, like I'm going to be doing the work. And they decided that because I'm a nobody and they had credits that they could do it at the last minute, which I think is cowardly versus coming to the table and saying, here's what I want. Right. It's more like turning you into a puppet. Yeah, and I, uh, I said absolutely not, and I told them go back to your to, to that, my agent. I was like, tell them I said that, mm -hmm. and then I woke up on a Saturday morning, like the next morning, 
and it hit me. I was like, even if they say, okay, now I have to sit across a table for let's and God willing for the next X amount of years and tell people who tried to fuck me my life story. And I called my agent and I said, I'm not doing the deal at all. If I got this far, I can get the next couple steps without them. And so we'll just start over. What's the what's the best advice you've re- received recently to kind of help you navigate all of this? Does anyone have an answer for that? Does anyone like, yes, I was talking to... Talking yeah. To really? Yeah. No. I mean, maybe they're just talking out of their ass. No, I mean, in moments where I'm like yelling or crying, my manager's like, these things don't happen overnight. My manager sounds like Napoleon Dynamite's brother. Um, I remember Dan Levy a long time ago telling me comedy is a marathon, not a sprint. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be fine. But... Truer words have never been spoken. Um, I don't know about actual advice as much as just the reaffirming the notion that, excuse me, I'm like trying not to burp. I'm not crying. I'm just like (laughs) trying to hold it in, but it looks like I'm getting emotional. The reaffirmation that, you know, this has to be a labor of love and people are retarded and they're going to not see things over and over and over. But what drives you has to be like this. Have you ever read like What Makes Sammy Run? You no, read that book? It's like no, this famous Hollywood book. I've read The Little Engine That Could, though. It's different because n- nobody <laughs> believed in it. It's totally different. Um, but it's just got to be the sort of un- believe in yourself that you will be undeniable. I know that sounds so intense, but and that you are just as worthy as anyone else and that what you have is art that's worth making. And I think if you go into it that, nothing can deter you. Things can hurt, but I don't know. You see it. People fall by the wayside. I remember thinking when I first started, like there was a girl that ran a room somewhere like on Sunday mornings and she was also like blonde and pretty. And I was like, Oh my God, like she's going to, she's going to be famous and I'm not. And I'm like, she moved to like Missouri. She's like a nurse now. Like people, most people can't hang and this business is exhausting. But I think if you are, if you are, um, firmly rooted in the notion that you're going to succeed, it doesn't have to be so exhausting because it doesn't even bother you. That's that being good. said, I'm really tired, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> but that's not what you tell somebody new who comes up to you. I also, that's the other thing. People come up, they're like, What's, do you need advice for a young yeah. comic? I'm like, you're asking me because you're hoping that I can help you. I can't. I don't know you, so if you want to come do three minutes on a show, sure. But my advice is always like, you have to get up and do stand-up then you'll see. You'll see if you're good. You'll see if people like you. You'll see what your writing style is like. None of this, like, I'm going to just take a break. No. Take a break after you've done something. <laughs> take a break after you've written something. But you got to get, it's like being a bodybuilder. Like, you have to go to the gym every day. You have to get your reps in. Um, and hopefully people like you enough that you get to just keep creating art on bigger and better platforms. That's the end goal. Yeah. And to have, like, a family. That'd be nice. <laughs> I'm a family. How are we doing on that? I have a long-haired dachshund. Yeah. And I went on a nice date last night. Oh. So yeah. we're pretty much there. <laughs> well, Eliza, I appreciate your hustle. Thank you. And your persistence. I appreciate you appreciating it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> last this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
Last things first. Last things first.